Matthew chapter number 12 this morning. Matthew chapter number 12, and um, <clears throat> we're going to look at just a few verses together. And before we do, can we pray this morning? If you're glad you're in the church this morning, say amen. 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 Look at the person next to you and say, I'm glad you came too. Right. Some of you just lied in church, all right? That's not good. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for letting us be here this morning. Lord, again, give us uh, the words to say, and Lord, help us as your people. Uh, Father, we not miss what you're trying to do for us personally. It is all about you. It's not about us. And Lord, we, uh, again fail to sometimes realize as well as show, uh, Father, how important you are to us. And Lord, thank you again for salvation. Lord, if there's someone not saved this morning, uh, Lord, help them to come to Christ. And Lord, thank you again for your saving us and helping us, guiding, directing us. Please now do that during this hour. And Lord, may you get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter number 12 this morning. I want you to look at, look at the story here. Look, jump down to verse number 22 with me. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 22. The Bible says this, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. All right, now, church family, listen, as we walk through the story this morning, I just want to give some simple truths this morning. But I want you to notice that Jesus is uh, with this group of people. I don't know how many people are there, but he's with this group of people. There's this uh, demon-possessed man. The Bible says he is both blind and dumb, which means he cannot see and he cannot speak. All right, again, true picture of what Satan does to a lost person. They cannot see and they cannot speak. They don't see their need for salvation, nor do they ask Christ to come to their heart. That, now, again, that just to me is the application here, the picture. But Jesus comes across this guy and he heals this man. Now, look what happens next. The Bible says that the, both the blind and dumb spake and saw, verse number 23, and all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? So when they made the statement, is not this the son of David, what they were saying, is not this the promised Messiah? All right, so they, were, they recognized that nobody, uh, as far as a human, could do what this man had just done. All right, he uh, caused, this, caused this demon to be passed out, caused this guy to be able to see and to uh, speak. Now look at verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is div divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Now let me stop again as we continue. I want to preach the interpretation of this passage this morning. But I want to say that what Jesus was using um, as an application is true to us today that a kingdom or a house or a city divided against itself cannot stand. All right? That, by the way, it's the biblical principle that Jesus set up. You ought, we ought to have unity among the brethren. Someone say amen. amen. When you don't have unity in your home, you're, you're on the, you're, you, what you do is you're setting up for failure, but you're setting also for something not to stand. So Jesus is using this illustration that you know, Satan can't cast out Satan because if Satan was against himself, his kingdom would not stand. All right, all together so far? Now look what he says next here in the Bible, verse number 26. Again, and if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself, shall not then, how then shall his kingdom stand? Verse 27. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Verse 28. But I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. In other words, if, if it was the Spirit of God that did this, then obviously um, the kingdom of God, talking about God the Messiah, has come unto you. Verse 29. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house, spoil his goods, except the first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. He then I'm sorry, he that is not with me is against me, and he that, is, that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Verse 31, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. 
And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now we're going to talk about all this, but I want you to go back to verse 25. When Jesus said, and Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. I want to talk about that phrase that Jesus mentioned in this passage here when he was talking to the Pharisees on the house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, church family, I'm not going to take you to all the passages this morning, but I want you to understand that in Matthew, also in the book of Mark, and also in the book of Luke, this particular story is mentioned. There are a few more details. Like, for instance, in the book of Mark and Luke, the Bible says it was scribes as well as Pharisees, whereas in this passage it was just the Pharisees that were being judgmental of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ heals this man. He cannot see. He cannot speak. He cast out the devil. And then this guy, this man is able to do both. And you can imagine what people thought to themselves when this person who could not speak and could not see, and all of a sudden he sees everybody and he can speak. Now, I've never been blind and I've never been able not to be speaking, but I want to tell you if a miracle like that took place, not just for you, but for those around you, it would cause wonder. It would cause amazement that this took place, all right? So Jesus does this miracle, and all of a sudden, everybody that's around him says, is not this the Messiah? Now, I know they said, is not this the son of David? But that's what they were saying. This is the person that the Old Testament wrote about. This is the person who's going to lead Israel. This is, the, this is the promised Messiah. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees pipe up and say, no, this isn't the Messiah. This guy's casting out devils by the Satan himself. In other words, this guy is a devil, and he's casting these devils out. And Jesus illustrates now, and he says, now, wait a second here. He says, a house cannot be divided against itself. It's an impossibility. Satan's not going to cast out Satan. Now, I want to tell you something. I want to hit this truth by making a couple statements, and then I'm going to walk through the passage real quick, quickly with you. But can I just tell you something? If Satan is smart enough not to be against himself, how come Christians aren't? How come that we want to hold resentment against somebody else, somebody who's offended us or somebody who made us mad? Because I want to tell you something. When you're fighting the brethren, you're fighting the same kingdom. All right. Are, are you on me this morning? Say amen. amen. All right. Stay with me now for just a few moments this morning. So Jesus is using the illustration that Satan cannot do this. And neither should Christians, by the way. We should be for one another. We should encourage one another. We should help one another. How good and how blessed, pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in... Psalm 133, verse number 1. God says it's a good thing that when we're going the same direction, when we're doing what the Lord wants us to do, all right? And that's what he wants us to do is have unity. Now, this morning, I want you to look at three thoughts concerning this statement that Jesus made in the context of the statement. When he said, a house divided against itself shall not stand, all right? Now, to me, there's three things I want you to notice here, okay? The first thing I want you to notice in this passage here is that there are two different houses, not three, not five, not ten, not twenty. There are only two. When, when the, 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 the decipheration, or I should say what Jesus is trying to make clear here, is there's God's house, there's Satan's house. Look at, look at your Bible again in verse number 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub. All right, so the Pharisees are making reference to this guy's from Satan. The people in the previous word made reference to this, this person's from God. When they said this is the son of David, he was not, they were not just saying he was a Jew. This guy, this guy is from God. And I just want, you, I want us again to recognize that there are only two houses. All right, now, church family, John 3, verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There's two types of people in this room this morning. There's two types of people in the world today, and there's only two. There are those who are the children of God. There are those who are the children of the devil. All right? There are only two houses, and he makes that very, very clear. Now, 
How many saved this morning say amen? Okay, according to Scripture, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that you're a child of God. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were children of the devil, which was again making reference of their unbelief because they had not put their faith in Christ or faith that Jesus was the Messiah. In John 8, 44, ye are of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now he was talking to the Pharisees, but church family, can I tell you, a lost person, we don't like these kind of statements, but a lost person is a child of the devil. I got saved when I was 11 years old. Before 11 years of age, uh, and again, I don't know when I came to the conclusion of salvation, but can I just tell you something? I was not a child of God. I was a child of the devil. All right? My parents would have told you I was a child of the devil. All right? But when I got saved, I became a child of God. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? All right, so when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you became from, went from one family to another family. I want to tell you, God knew what he was doing and allow allowed us to adopt. But I want to just tell you something. Adoption in our family, I'm glad, thankful for the Lord allowing us to adopt. We adopted our first two. The Lord allowed us to have five or six, six more. All right, six more. We have eight total. I'm sorry, I don't do math very well, all right? So the Lord allowed us to adopt our first two. We, God allowed us to have uh, six birth children. All eight of those children are our own. We went to Sharon and John Michael's house yesterday uh, for a few moments uh, to uh, celebrate uh, Jensen's birthday. And uh, he turned four years old. And all of the children are family. And the reason they're family is because when you adopt somebody, they become your own. All righty? When you got saved, God only had one, one son. All right? That only son, the only begotten son of God was who? Jesus Christ. And we understand that from John 3.16. So that means, according to the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 1, I think verse number 7, the Bible says the adoption of sons took place when we accepted Christ and we became joint heirs with Christ. You're an adoptee, by the way. God only had one son. And if you're saved this morning, thank God you switched families. You switched families. You know, Stacia and I brought Sharon home uh, as a baby. Sharon, Sharon, Sharon was our firstborn. And we, and we brought, uh, brought Sharon home as a baby. And I'll never forget coming back to the church, the original church building that we were in. And I'll never forget that Sunday night uh, coming with uh, that holding uh, her in that um, basket. What do they call it? Car seat. And uh, we went, I came down the middle aisle. Service has already started. I came down the middle aisle holding Sharon. I was happy. I was a proud daddy. I was excited. And I remember that. I remember that day. And when we adopted Sharon, Sharon was adopted. And one of the things about the adoption was this, when we talked to the birth mother, if we adopt this, this baby girl, we do not want any contact with her until she's 18. You do it however you want. That's how we did it. We decided if we were going to adopt a child, we were going to be her parents. We did not want to be her parents and somebody else be her parents at the same time, okay? So don't, don't cast stones at me. Just listen to me for a moment, all right? Because, by the way, you were adopted. I want to tell you the parallel is so, so, so clear. Sharon had gotten close to being to the age of 18 and some dingling around here, and I don't know who it was, and thank God I don't, had a smartphone. So she looked up who her birth mother was. She was about 17 years of age, and somebody let them use their smartphone around here. Boy, I hope I never find out who it is. Sharon found out who her birth mother was and found out where she was. This is while she was in her own home. And when she got close to graduating from school, she was, and by the way, she was inquisitive, and I have no problem with that. And by the way, I had no problem with her seeing her birth mother. I just knew that we made an agreement that until she was 18 years of age, leave her alone. 
Sharon's about to graduate from high school. Her birth mother uh, bought her a ticket so she could fly her down to where she was. Sharon graduated from high school, and I think it was a day later, the next day, the next morning, she got on an airplane. And to be honest with you, we thought we'd never see her again. You know why? Because she was inquisitive about who her birth mother was. And I want to just tell you something. From her parents' side of things, that was a killer. We spent all of our life raising this daughter, loving her, and wanting her to do right and serve God. And the very next day after graduation, she's going to run back to the person who birthed her, but that was it. Oh, it was bad. Two weeks later or so, Sharon calls back and says, can I come home? Number one, she recognized what home was. Number two, she knew who to call. Now, can I just tell you, you are no different than what took place. She was inquisitive about her birth family. She wanted to see what it was. And when she got down there, she said, this is not what I want. Can I just tell you something? As a child of the devil, the devils always get that draw that cause you to be inquisitive to want to do what your flesh wants. And every once in a while, you leave, your birth, you leave your adoptive family to go down with your birth family, and you find out that your birth family is not living for God, and your birth family is doing wrong, and all those things that appeal to the flesh, but the way of the transgressor is hard, is not what you need or want. And every once in a while, we, we backslide in our Christian life. You know why? Because you still have a birth family, and you have an adopted family. Can I just tell you, your adopted family loves you a whole lot more. How do you know that? For God so he gave his life for you, by the way. Gave his life for you. There are always going to be two families. There are always going to be two houses. There are going to be two people, and it's God and it's the devil. And when you decide that you want to go back and live your life like you want to live your life, what you're saying is, I want to go back to my birth, birth family. Always two families, always two homes. Number two here, I want you to see that not only was Jesus trying to stress the two houses, <laughs> I like verse 29. Church family, when you read a verse, you always try to find out what's in the context of those verses. Look at verse 29 in the context. In verse 28, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else, in other words, if I'm not casting them out by devils, verse 29, or else how can one enter into a what? Strong man's what? House. All right, we're talking about two different houses here. How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house? That's what I know you're not, I know you've already seen it. So let me, say the, let me say the elementary statement of what's going on here in the context. Jesus just got done casting out a devil and causing a person to be able to see and to be able to speak. Am I correct on that? Okay, so in the context of what he's saying is this, the reason I can cast out that devil is because I've already bound the strong man. Who is the strong man that Jesus is trying to picture here? Devil. He's picturing the devil. Church family, in Ephesians chapter 6, remember what, Jesus, or what the Bible says? It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers of the darkness of this world. You know, Satan might have power in this world, but he doesn't have power over the universe. Amen. When Satan wanted to do something to Job, who did he have to go ask permission from? God, listen to me this morning. What the Bible's trying to talk, teach, or Jesus is trying to teach us here about a house divided against itself is that there are always going to be two houses, but Jesus has already spoiled the other house. In other words, he's in control. Jesus has bound the strong man. He has bound Satan. And by the way, we, we got the rest of the story in the book of Revelation, by the way. 
We understand if the rapture takes place right now, <clears throat> tribulation period takes place, we're in heaven for seven years, we're going to come back on white horses at the, great, at the second coming of Christ. We understand that Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years and thrown into a, a bottomless pit, and we're going to enjoy the millennium while we're here on living reign with Christ on this earth. And after a thousand years, Satan's going to be loosed. He's going to deceive the nations at that time one more time. And at the battle of Gog and Magog, he will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. We have the end of the story. Can I tell you why? Because God's more powerful than Satan. God's more powerful than Satan. He's the one that spoiled the strong man. He's the one that says, okay, listen, God is in control, not the devil. Now, there's one more thing I want you to see that's interesting. kind of pulls all this together. I really wondered from the reading of why verse 31 and 32, because listen, church family, these verses are mentioned three different times, and it's always connected with this story. It's connected with this, this demon-possessed guy getting healed. It's connected with the uh, people saying, hey, listen, this must be the Messiah. This must be the son of David. It's connected with the Pharisees saying, now he's casting them out by the devil. And then God, Jesus makes this statement of the unpardonable sin. Look what he says next. Look at verse number 30 again. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Verse 31, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and, sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Hey, can I stop? Thank you. Hey, listen for a second here. Aren't you glad for that? All manner of sin can be forgiven. All manner. That means when the woman at the well who had already had five husbands, Jesus said, your sins can be forgiven. That means, that means uh, uh, Zacchaeus, who was robbing people of their money, his sins can be forgiven. That means David, the man after God's own heart who killed, had Uriah killed, his sins can be forgiven. He said, stop living a discouraged life because of what happened in your past. I'm just telling you, all manner of sin can be forgiven. Now here's what he says next. All manner of sins and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. All right? Now, just for me, the last thought, and here's the three thoughts. House, a house divided against itself, first of all, Jesus recognized there's two different houses. Then Jesus recognizes that he has already spoiled Satan's house. Now, I want to make this statement, and I want to explain what I mean here. Refusal to be part of Jesus' house means destruction in Satan's house. Now, I know it's a long statement for a point, but I want you to think this thing through. Church family, are you with me so far? Say amen. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Demon-possessed guy healed. People says, this must be the Messiah. Pharisees say, this guy's casting demons out by the devil himself. Jesus says, and he says several things. He says, house divided itself cannot stand. But then Jesus says, hey, listen, you can say whatever you want against the Son of Man, and it can be forgiven because all manner of sins can be forgiven. But there's one sin that cannot be forgiven. I remember he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were talking bad about Christ. Jesus, uh, yeah, this fellow, they don't even call him by his name. This fella is doing what he's doing because he's, he's, he's of the devil. Jesus says, you know what? You can be forgiven for such foolishness to talk about the Son of God in such an ill-mannered way, but you cannot be forgiven of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Now, think about the context of what's going on here, church family. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were constant irritation, or we would call an irritation, a constant irritation to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, you are blind leaders of the blind. Jesus made reference to them that they were going to die and go to hell because they were not saved people. 
Now think about it. The Pharisees were religious people. They were people who were around Christ. They saw the miracles of Christ. In other words, they constantly were able to see and hear the truth. And you know what they constantly did? Rejected it. Rejected it. Church family, I, I don't want to turn to too many places, but would you turn to this one? We turn over to Acts chapter 7 for a moment. In Acts chapter 7, you have Stephen being stoned. All right, Acts chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In Acts chapter 7, jump down to verse number, uh, <clears throat> verse number 51. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. He says this, ye, Stephen speaking, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears, ye do always resist what? As your fathers did, so do ye. Now, just for a minute, can I just tell you that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is when a person resists what the Holy Ghost is telling them about Jesus Christ. The only sin unto death, the only, I'm sorry, the only unpardonable sin is a matter of when a person is drawn to Christ as far as salvation and they reject it. They reject it. You know, when you think about this, remember John chapter number three? Remember Nicodemus? He says that a person is born of the flesh and born of the spirit. Remember what Jesus said, John chapter eight, I think it's verse number 44. Remember what Jesus said? I don't know if I've got it printed up here, but he said this, Jesus was talking. He said that, let me say a couple statements here. John chapter 12, verse number 52 first. He said this, and if I be, John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will what? Draw all men unto me. In John 6, 44, not 8, 44, 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father that hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, church family, here's what I'm trying to get you to see this morning. You don't get saved because you decide you're going to get saved. You don't get saved because somebody coaxed you into getting saved. You get saved because there's a drawing of the Spirit of God, and you make a conscious decision whether or not you're going to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? I was 11 years old when I was drawn. I made a profession of faith when I was five where I prayed a prayer. A prayer does not save you. It's when you understand that you're a sinner and because of your sin you deserve to die and go to hell forever, but that Jesus loved you and died for you. And you believe that he did that for you and you receive him. You accept him as your, you, you call upon him. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. <clears throat> I like Brother McMacken's truck. All right, now we're going to pretend, we're pretend because I don't know, but we're going to pretend Brother McMack and that nice truck out there. You still have that purple truck? Yes, sir. Okay, it's a nice truck, all right? So he has this truck outside, and it's really, really nice. And we're going to pretend, I don't, I, help me now with my pretending, okay? We're going to pretend that he owes $20,000 on that truck. And I come up to Brother McMack and say, Brother McMacken, I really like your truck. I want to do something nice for you. I'm going to pay your truck off. And he looks at me and says, nope, I'm going to pay for it myself. Okay, he makes a conscious decision. Now, by the way, how many would say he'd be pretty stupid to not let me pay his truck off? All right? I, thank you. All right? At least he agrees with me. All right? But if I walked up to him and said, hey, listen, I'm just feeling really generous. I want to pay your truck off. Uh, will you let me pay your truck off? And he says, yes, pay it off. Because I don't want the debt. Can I just tell you, we all have a sin debt. And it's either you pay for the sin debt and die and go to hell forever, or you let Jesus pay the sin debt. It's that simple. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. All we've got to do is believe and receive that. Accept Christ as our personal Savior. But listen to me. You don't get saved just because you know it. You get saved because God, Jesus said, I will be lifted up and I will draw all men unto me. Right. I'm just telling you that the reason you got saved, no matter if you were in church or home, 
It, the, what happened was, is you consciously heard and understand, and the Holy Spirit drew you, and as it's said in Revelation chapter 22, whosoever will. Now, I want to tell you, the unpardonable sin comes, comes to a person where they are presented the gospel, and God shows them they're a sinner, and they refuse that. Oh, that can't be true. Jesus was just a man. I don't need anybody to pay for my sin. I'm a good person. You know, it's interesting. Again, I'm a little hesitant about going to other passages just because I don't want to take away from the thought. To, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says that God turns a person to a reprobate mind. You know, there are people who are of a reprobate mind that are not going to get saved. They do not believe the gospel. And it's not that they couldn't get saved. It's just that they repeatedly refused or rejected the, 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 the belief that Christ died for them. I've had people say before, I don't know if I've committed the unpardonable sin. Can I just tell you that if you're asking yourself if you committed the unpardonable sin, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is when God tries to tell somebody that they're lost. Romans talks about that and how they're presented the, the idea of salvation and how Christ died for them and they continually push it away. They're finally going to get to a place where they're of a reprobate mind where it means nothing to them and they're not going to be saved. If a person's asking themselves, I wonder if I've committed the unpardonable sin, then you still have hope that the Holy Spirit can draw you and that you get saved. Listen, I don't know what your heart this morning here this morning, and I know there's most of you, I know most of you by, by name, name in this morning, and I know that you're saved, but there might be somebody here this morning. You're not for sure. Oh, I'm not a bad person. I think I'm going to go to heaven. I hope I'm going to go to heaven. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written. What's written? The word of God. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. Can I just remind you there's only two houses. Can I also remind you Jesus has already beat the other house up. And can I just tell you right now that depending on what house you're in will determine where you're going to spend eternity. I enjoy the book of Revelation. Can I just read a few verses with you? And this will be the last place I turn to. But turn over to Revelation real quickly with me. Revelation, jump down to chapter, I think chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. We understand in chapter number 19, Satan's cast into a bottomless pit. But look at Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse number 10. Revelation 20, verse number 10. This is at the battle of Gog and Magog. This is after the millennium. Revelation 20, verse number 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet, the beast being the Antichrist and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented how long? Day and night for how long? Hey, aren't you glad you're on the winning side? Aren't you glad you're in the right house? I know that we as children of God have problems. I know we as children of God have offenses. I know that we as children of God, everything doesn't go like we necessarily want it to. But I'm thankful for one thing. I know how this is going to end. Look at Revelation. Uh, we'll show you more, one more thing here. I want you to see uh, Revelation chapter number... Of course, at the end of chapter, verses number 11 through 15 talks about the end of those who are not saved. Verse number 14, Revelation 20, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Flip over to chapter number 22. Let me show, point one more thing out. Revelation chapter 22. I always like the last chapter, and there's so much to read, but I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to read three verses. Revelation 22, look at verse number three. And there shall be, now remember now, this is after the millennium. This is, this is forever with God. Revelation 22. And there shall be no more curse. Hey, aren't you tired of temptation? 
Did you know part of the curse is that we have to deal with temptation of saying no and yes and have to deal with our sinful nature, our fleshly gratification of what we do wrong, and then we get punished because we break fellowship with God? No more curse. Look what else he says here. There should be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall what? All right, so the first thing you're going to do forever, because if you're a child of God, you're serving him, is that you're going to serve him. Verse number four, and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God, of them, uh, God, God, Lord God giveth them light, and they shall, what's the second thing we're going to do forever? Now, church family, from my study of the scripture and from reading chapter number 22, the only two things that God mentions that we are going to do forever after the millennium is first of all, serve him, second of all, reign with him. Now, I don't understand, to be honest with you, I don't understand what we're going to be reigning over forever. I don't understand that, but he told us that's what we're going to do. And by the way, that's another good reason. Make sure you're living for God now, because if you're going to live and reign with him at the judgment seat of Christ, I believe that God's not only going to give us the reward, but he's also going to give our assignment forever. Now, I, by the way, we're going to be happy forever no matter what we're doing, because we're going to be with him. But until then, you ought to do everything you can for him. Now, here's what I'm trying to get you to see this morning. There are two houses. Jesus has already won the victory over the other house. And depending on what house you're in is where you're going to be forever. You see, Pastor, Sunday morning, everybody's saved. You, um, by the way, I don't believe everybody in the auditorium is saved. I made a profession when I was five, didn't get saved until I was 11. There is no doubt that there's somebody, you say, oh, well, maybe, some, maybe one, somebody that came on the buses. No, maybe somebody who drove in this morning, you're not saved, you know you're not saved, but you don't want to tell anybody about it. You know, I'll tell you something. The worst decision you will ever make in your life is not to accept Christ because of what people think. Amen. Worst decision. Amen. Second worst decision. I can do this later. Amen. You know, if you're not saved, now's the day of salvation. Accept Christ as your Savior. Amen. You know... I have to be careful because of uh, my children. I love them very dearly, and I never want to hurt them, and they won't know until they get to heaven how much I care about every one of them. But, you know, my two oldest, as far as being when they were adopted, I look at them and think of them the same way I look at my other six. I don't look at, and, the, and I say other. They were born. What, what are you going to do? All right, six were birthed and two were adopted. I can't do anything about that. But I love them. And by the way, even my birth kids, they don't even understand how much I love them. I love them. You have a heavenly father that loves you. You say, how do you know that? Well, the scripture says he died for you. The scripture says he'll forgive you of any sin that you commit. And the scripture says the third reason that he loves you is because he corrects you. And if you've got those three things going on in your life, it takes away all doubt that I'm not saved because when I do wrong he corrects me. Guess what? It's because he loves me and I'm, I'm part of the right family. But you might be here this morning and you're, you're constantly toying with, you know, I think I'm saved I hope I'm saved or you're in one of two families and there's no doubt about it. You know, Sharon didn't wake up growing up at our house wondering, I wonder whose family I'm a part of. She knew what family she was a part of. She's a part of our family. You know why? Because I adopted her. I don't have to wake up tomorrow morning wondering what family I'm a part of. I've been born again. I've been saved. I'm part of God's family. 
So I want to tell you something. If you're wondering or questioning, you need to get that settled. You need to accept Christ as your Savior. Lord's coming back. That might not mean much to you if you're lost, but Lord's coming back. And if he comes back right now and the trumpet blows and the shout is given, all those who are saved are going to go immediately up into the clouds and we're going to go to heaven with the Lord in the air. And whoever's left behind, if you've heard the gospel, which you have because you heard it just now, you cannot be saved. I don't care what the movies show. I don't care what people tell you. First Thessalonians makes it very, very clear that the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and the Antichrist is going to cause the, those who've heard the gospel to believe a lie. I wouldn't put it off. Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning?